Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. David, who do we have as our guest, next guest at Health 2021? Well, John, we are fortunate to be here. And of the 6,000 people that are around, we landed Alicia Stokes. She is VP Strategy Planning and Performance for Government Markets at Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. That's who we have. Welcome, Alicia. Tell, tell, tell us a little bit about your role and about the Blues in North Carolina. You're kind of a relevant plan in that state. Yeah, somewhat. Um, first of all, thank you all for having me. Uh, I've been at Blue Cross North Carolina for about eight years now. Uh, I started off in our healthcare division, uh, working on a lot of the value-based payments and helping formulate how uh, Blue Cross North Carolina formed a different relationship with providers. So really working a lot on the ACOs and kind of moved to value front. Um, I was there for about three or four years and then transitioned over to our enterprise strategy area where I uh, managed our competitive and market intelligence team as as well as our innovation arm of the company, uh, and had a brief stint uh, leading our consumer uh, intelligence uh, and our insights team and also our consumer experience team. And then about seven, eight months ago, um, I had an opportunity to uh, switch over and have more P&L uh, ownership and association. And now my role as the vice president of strategy planning and performance in government markets, uh, my role is really to uh, ensure that the long-term strategy for our Medicare, Medicaid, and our federal employee plan business is sustainable and can help us reach uh, our membership and revenue and growth goals. I have accountability for our long-term go-to-market strategy, our marketing strategy, our product ID. Um, and any sort of large-scale strategic partnerships that we uh, need to endeavor on to help us further our goals. So, Alicia, tell us a little bit about Blue Cross Blue Shield in North Carolina, because in the state of North Carolina, you are the reference plan, and, 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 and you are the brand that people think about when they think about health insurance. What, what kind of responsibility do you think that puts on the plan, and, 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 and what, what kind of position does that put you in in government programs, which has not historically been... Medicare, Medicaid, where blues plans have really distinguished themselves. And yet, Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina has leaned in hard. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so number one, we at Blue Cross North Carolina, we are all about serving. Uh, our purpose statement is to improve the health and well-being of our customers and our communities. And we will not stop until healthcare is better for all. Um, we have been largely focused in the commercial space. So think uh, ACA, think employer groups, underwritten groups, things of that nature. But I think some of the um, uh, some of the movement that we've seen in the federal space is that uh, folks are really, really jazzed and, and excited about um, the Medicare Medicaid space. Uh, in uh, July of this past year, um, we went live with Medicaid transformation in North Carolina, um, and so we have really, really leaned into that via our partnership um, in forming Healthy Blue. Um, and so I think when we think about what our opportunity is and where we can really help contribute to the health and well-being of our customers and communities in North Carolina. Carolina, um, we really see that we should be serving um, all North Carolinians. Um, I think we've seen some real movement in some of the distinct programs that we have within the plan. So think about um, Blue Premier, which is uh, some call uh, one of the fastest move to value programs in the country. At only two years old, we've generated approximately $350 million in savings uh, while delivering quality improvements and health outcomes improvements. Um, we've seen some real movement in our star scores. So this year for 2022, uh, both our HMO and PPO plans for MA are ranked at four and a half stars. And then just going back 
to Blue Premier, um, you know, overall, as far as health outcomes are concerned, um, we've seen some great improvements there. Um, roughly, uh, adults with uh, Blue Premier providers saw approximately a 15% reduction in unplanned hospital readmissions. And so I think how we think about our plan is North Carolina is our backyard. Uh, North Carolina is our home turf. We are local. Um, we are the longest standing insurer in the state at 88 years strong. Our CEO, Dr. Tunde Satunde, has a local presence. Uh, he answers the phone when our communities call. He spends time in our communities from the mountains to the coast. Um, and one of the things that I love best about our plan is that we are not beholden to shareholders. We have a mandate to improve the health and well-being of our customers and our communities full stop. Um, and we make sure that everything that we do is in the spirit of supporting and enabling um, our customers and our communities. Alicia, you know, Medicare and Medicaid are programs that have been around for a while. They started in the 1960s, which was, which was some time ago. And, of course, they're not You remember that, David. You were around. I mean, what was Sean, it like? David was four when that happened. So. There we go. Thank Spring you. chicken. Thank, thanks for a little. We're going to have you on the podcast more, uh, more often here. Yeah, I was uh, just getting around. As, you, know, you know, Lyndon Johnson didn't call on me directly. You know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't LBJ. He could have. There were a lot of LBJs in the family, Lady Bird, et cetera. But I didn't, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't one of those. But maybe, maybe next time he will. They did talk about the Boston to Austin axis, however. So maybe, maybe he would. In any case, thank you. Um, so there has been changes since, since those times. But I know, are there opportunities, continued opportunities that you see to modernize uh, Medicare and, and Medicaid? And, and are you optimistic about whether we'll, we'll be seeing progress in those areas? So let's hit the second one first, and then we'll go through some examples that will answer, answer the first question. Number one, yes, I'm very optimistic. Um, we see payers all across the country really investing in opportunities to modernize both Medicare and Medicaid. Um, we're seeing a lot of traction in these efforts. I think with respect to Blue Cross North Carolina, there's a couple things that we know. Number one, we know that health goes beyond uh, the physical care in the doctor's office, and we must get better at integrating um, physical and behavioral health and really addressing those non-medical drivers of health. We must also get better at uh, investing in our community. Um, investing in, in community health partnerships with our community organizations. I think one of the things that really excites me about Blue Cross North Carolina is while we look to improve the health and well-being of our customers and our communities, we really look at what organizations currently sit within the community and making sure that as we really look to uh, improve the health and well-being for our customers and our, and our communities that we are not alienating those organizations that currently exist. Um, in North Carolina, as I mentioned before, we're in has, the that, has that happened before? Has that been a real issue for some of the Blues plans? Um, I can't speak to whether it's been an issue to some of the um, to some of the Blues plans, but what I can tell you is that we are being incredibly intentional about it. Um, under the new leadership of Dr. Satunde, as well as um, the leadership of Dr. John Lumpkin and our Drivers of Health team, which I'll talk about a little bit more or a little bit later, um, we really are focused on making sure that not only do we meet the community where they're at, but that we understand the current infrastructures and the current organizations that sit within the community and how we can better partner with them to support where we're all trying to get um, as, as organizations that really look to help influence the healthcare ecosystem. So that's one of the things I'm really, really excited about is being able to leverage these communities partnerships in order to help further our purpose and help further those organizations' purpose as well. You know, drug pricing is a major issue these days just because the price is so high and it is consuming so much of the healthcare dollar. And I know that, um, that Blue Cross of North Carolina has a partnership with the EQRX. And I mean, how do these things fit together? Are you really tackling, a, really tackling it head on? Yeah, so first, I think it's helpful to just start off with some statistics that can kind of lay the groundwork to emphasize the importance of um, being able to impact drug pricing. 
Um, since 2014, prescription drug prices have increased by 33%, and that's far outpacing the other medical services that are really driving healthcare costs. We know at Blue Cross North Carolina that 50% of the increase in our members' healthcare spending is from rising drug costs. Um, and we know that specialty drugs are part of the problem as well. Um, they account for roughly 1% of overall prescriptions, but they really drive half of that pharmacy spending. And we also know that this has a disproportionate impact on Medicare and Medicaid patients. So now let's talk about kind of what we're doing globally as insurers, and then we can talk more specifically about what Blue Cross North Carolina is doing as well. Number one, we as payers must work to increase competition in this space among pharma manufacturers. We must promote generics that ensure that Medicare and other drug purchasers can negotiate lower prices, especially where high-priced drugs face little or no competition. Um, we must increase transparency, not only in price, but also in effectiveness for our consumers and providers. And one point I want to emphasize here is we must increase that transparency in a way that consumers and providers can understand and utilize. Um, and then lastly, I think, you know, us as insurers, we must support reforms um, that promote and speed competition from generic drugs and biosimilars. We have to stop these patent abuses that delay generics and biosimilars from coming to market. Um, so so as, you think, as you think about that long list of necessary necessary reforms. Yeah. How do you as a as an insurer kind of punch back at pharma's grab of what's effectively one out of four consumers who are on chronic medicine can't afford mm-hmm. all of their prescriptions? I mean, they, they, they even even with coverage. Yep. This is not people who are not covered. How, how do you, is EQRX sort of a, a, an aspect? Can you just talk a little bit about that? Or? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about EQRX. Um, so EQRX is really focused. So Let me back up. EQRX is a a biotech startup, um, and they're focused on lowering direct member costs and creating new specialty medicines at radically lower prices. Um, We feel like that they will specifically target specialty drugs, so think oncology drugs. Um, We all know that those are notoriously expensive, um, and we're thinking that this partnership will deliver tremendous savings for our members. However, there are other things that we can do working more closely with our providers. Um, So, for example, Blue Cross North Carolina pharmacists, so pharmacists that we have in-house, are assigned to our Blue Premier partners to support members with chronic conditions who are eligible for medication review and condition-specific health screenings. And then we also have an RX Savings Solutions Program, um, which looks to scan drug options for and different savings opportunities for members and really help them maximize our prescription benefits. But again, one of the things that I really want to highlight is that that transparency transparency portion for both consumers and providers is critically important. It has to be at the point of care. It has to be at the point of decision making, and it has to be delivering insights and information to consumers and providers that they can actually grasp and leverage in order to help give them the best price um, and the best effectiveness within their medications. So if I think about my 88-year-old mom as a uh-huh. cancer survivor, she's uh-huh. got a couple, bunch of chronic meds. What if, if you if you have the system that you want? What is she gonna? How is she gonna? Exp, how would she experience transparency in a world that that you could design that was more transparent around drug pr- prices and options? Yeah. So close your eyes and imagine a world where um, she or her caretaker shows up at Walgreens to pick up her medication, and the pharmacist says. Did you know that you're supposed to be on this medication, but actually there's another medication that has the same amount of effectiveness that's going to cost you $200 less, right? And at the point of care, she can get that medication, right? And she can actually pay 
a lower price, but still have the right amount of effectiveness, right? And that information is also being transmitted back to the provider, right? Because you can't, you know, a pharmacist is part of the care team, but at the end of the day, like we've talked about before, as you move to value, it's the primary care physician who really has accountability over the patient outcomes. So the transparency not only has to be with the consumer, but then we also have to be able to bring that information back to the provider and make sure that they're in the loop, right? Make sure that they understand that there's an opportunity to switch to a more effective, lower cost medication and that they're doing the right kind of follow-up and correspondence to really make sure that the health outcomes are trending the way they're supposed to. So is your goal to be that connective tissue between That's exactly right. the different parts of sort of the virtual, we, we talk about it, Care Centric, we talk about care traffic control, but it's also about the flow of that information. You can't influence what you don't know about. That's exactly right. You can't influence what you don't know about. And and this is where, you know, I get a little bit kicked under the table um, with my constituents uh, at Blue Cross, but we cannot deliver that information late. No. Right? Because no, be if, if, your grand, if your mother is going to the pharmacy at 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, as most people do, right, if, she, if that information is not given to that pharmacist and given to her right then, then we risk she's splitting pills because she can't afford the actual prescription that she went there for, right? An 88-year-old person, or no one for that matter, should be put in a position where they are forced to split pills all because they can't afford the right pill, the right place, the right time. It's so insane. we have to do better. Full stop. We have to do better. Now, what about food security? You know, historically, that's not something you'd think about that a health plan would need to be uh, involved with. But I know that uh, you've been active there and have have some partnerships um, as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think there's a, a stat that a lot of people refer to that, you know, 20 percent of health outcomes are linked to medical care and the remaining 80 percent stem from this socioeconomic, environmental um, kind of uh, non-clinical markers of health, right? Think safe housing, transportation, access to healthy foods. Um, I would argue that Medicare and Medicaid beneficiaries are disproportionately impacted by these non-medical drivers of health. And I think the pandemic has just exacerbated that beyond belief and really serves as a painful reminder that good health doesn't just happen in the provider's office. Simply put, we cannot improve health without addressing these non-medical drivers of health. Um, we focused on prioritizing food security because it is the most commonly reported unmet social need. Um, and so we have a drivers of health team, as I said, led by Dr. John Lumpkin. And they're really testing innovative models to find effective long-term strategies for addressing drivers of health needs. So they're doing things like collaborating with local organizations to provide eligible members with a monthly benefit stipend for fresh food. Um, they have a food delivery and kind of health coaching model um, for members with type 2 diabetes that are facing food insecurity. But I think one of the biggest um, bodies of work that the team is really collaborating on is to help increase not only awareness of SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program benefits, but also to help increase enrollment in SNAP. Um, so we know that lack of awareness and stigma and bureaucracy are all barriers to SNAP access. We also know um, that on average throughout the course of a year, an adult with low income who participates in FNS SNAP will, will incur uh, roughly $1,400 less in medical care costs than an adult with a low income who does not participate. And so one of the things that we're doing within our organization is our social workers have the ability to screen members uh, for our program to see if they're eligible for SNAP. And if they are, they connect them with a third party um, that can help them through that complicated enrollment process. And then it also makes sure that um, the members are receiving their full amount of benefits for which they're eligible. 
Uh, we're also doing some things to provide financial support to our local food banks to increase their capacity. And so far, what we've seen within this pilot ran by Dr. Lumpkin and his team is that the approach has already directed about $12 million in FNS and SNAP benefits to more than 8,000 households across our state. So we really feel like that we're making an impact there um, and that, you know, we are trying to um, really focus on something that we know is a problem, that we know is an issue. Um, the other but, thing but that... Just, 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 I, one of the things that people don't understand, we, we talk in healthcare and phrases, food is insecurity. We've got tens of millions of people Absolutely. who cannot afford nutritious food for their families. We're talking about children. We're talking about elderly folks aging in place. And, you know, a big chunk of the tens of millions of people who qualify for food stamps or, or what's called SNAP currently uh, are working. They actually are working Absolutely. part-time or full-time. And the bureaucracy, the challenges for someone who's poor or from, a, uh, you know, a, a different cultural communities to actually just get enrolled. I'm, I happen to be on the board for the, the Alliance for Hunger. Just the number of people who want to but can't, mm -hmm. that's a very different role for the uh, a health plan. But... You know, if, if, you, if you're hungry, you're, you're, you're three or four times as likely to hit the hospital if you're diabetic. I mean, like, you go down the, 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 the issues of folks with chronic conditions, and then you add hunger, and the whole thing explodes. And it, we're, we're just talking about getting people. I mean, that's a, that's a major step forward. Absolutely, John. And look, North Carolina ranks among the highest uh, in all of our states in the country for food production. But yet we also rank the highest for food insecurity. That's insane. That, that's just, that's a non-starter, yeah. right? And so I think some of this is also about stepping back and saying, where do we as payers have an opportunity to help build infrastructure and capacity within our community organizations? And then where do we have an opportunity, whether it is funding, whether it is influencing on the legislative and policy levels, and gosh darn it, where do we just have an obligation to just do, right? right? Well, where do we have an obligation well, and, to just step in and help do help do better and do more? And people trust you. I mean, because the, the Blues brand is still the only brand in healthcare insurance where you can appreciably charge more or see more trust than any of the other insurers. I mean, that is the last bastion of a little bit of trust for health insurance. Yeah, don't That's blow it up. Right. So maybe last question. Um, what do you see as the role of the home for healthcare? I mean, historically, Healthcare has been very much focused on the hospital, maybe the physician's office. Certainly the, during the pandemic, we've seen more of an, an overall emphasis on the home. How, how are you seeing it from your side? Yeah, good question, David. So, um, you know, beyond affordability, I would say that access is one of the most significant challenges that the healthcare industry faces, um, especially for those in rural or remote areas who face transportation barriers or challenges in getting to a provider's office for in-person care. Um, at Blue Cross North Carolina, we've invested in programs and technologies that really help bring healthcare to home. Uh, so a couple of examples is we have a collaboration with Landmark Health, and they deliver in-home primary care for some of our most chronically ill um, Blue Medicare members. Um, we have a Mom's Meals program, which provides meals to members who've been hospitalized, uh, shipped right to their doorstep. Um, and then we also have a Drivers of Health pilot uh, that provides eligible members at risk of social isolation with on-demand on companionship and assistance with everyday tasks, including transportation to doctor's appointments and grocery delivery. Um, the key point is really this. Uh, the old way of thinking uh, held that the doctor's office was the place that we went to go get healthy, right? Um, a whole person approach to care and maintaining good health happens everywhere. It's in our homes. It's where we work. It's in our communities. Um, it's in our mental health and providers' offices. It's in virtual spaces, not just the doctor's office. And so in order to fulfill our purpose as an organization, we must focus on health care beyond the doctor's office, and we must focus our efforts on where customers and communities live, work, learn, and play. At the end of the day, we must focus on health, and health happens majority in the home. 
Good. Well, that's it for yet another edition of Care Talk. We're here at Health 2021, joined today by Alicia Stokes, VP Strategy, Planning and Performance for Government Markets at Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. I have learned a lot today. I have enjoyed it. I'm sure the same will be for our listeners as well. David Williams, Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of Care Centrics. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and thank you, Alicia. Thank you. It's been fun. 